Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Have you ever thought about sharing your story, but you didn't know where to begin? But what if your story could help others? Who do you speak to about it? Today, I have with me Jenny Barnett, who will share some of her real-life experiences, as well as the journey she has gone on in defining, developing, and executing her life legacy. My name is Angelina Carlton. I am the founder of Legacy Planning, a boutique advisory and coaching firm based in Beverly Hills, California. And I have the pleasure of introducing Mrs. Jenny Barnett this morning. Welcome. Hi, Angelina. Thank you so much for having me today. It's such an honor to be here with you talking about legacy and memoir and uh, some of my experiences. Wonderful. So to begin, let's break the ice a little bit. And would you share a bit about your background and the book that you recently published and so forth? Okay, perfect. So actually, I'm still on the journey of completing the book. Um, I'm about to hand my uh, first draft of my manuscript to my editor. So it's an exciting time. And we're actually going to meet um, on June 14th to discuss everything. So I'm really excited about that. And thank you for having me here um, to, to go through that. Now, I grew up in upstate New York, and um, in poverty uh, for, you know, my childhood for, for really for many, many years. Um, and so with that, there were certain repercussions. Now, I was very fortunate and I ended up going off to college um, and I currently have also a master's degree. So um, those were some incredible achievements, but there was a lot of you know, difficult trauma and things that I had to overcome along the way. And so uh, actually I'm going to be publishing more than one memoir, um, at least three that I have planned because various parts of the story is difficult to get it all into one book. Yes. So I want to devote time and attention um, to different pieces of okay. my story. So yeah. let's jump into the deep end at the very beginning of our conversation. So before today, one of the things that I had said to you is poverty can be one of the greatest forms of violence. And given what many Americans, as well as other citizens around the world have experienced in the past year and so forth, would you speak into what it was like for you growing up so that others can understand that you just didn't wake up one day and a master's degree landed on your desk and you just had the skill set to be able to speak about you know, the real life experiences that you've had to live through? 
Yeah, so um, this is probably going to be maybe one of my more long-winded answers. So be patient with me because I want to draw in others as well into this um, after talking about my own experience. I think that's important to always, you know, relate back to everyone. And so uh, what, yes, that's so true that poverty um, causes both physical and psychological damage. Um, I was a first generation college student. Neither of my parents graduated from high school. Okay. Uh, my father only finished through seventh grade um, and he enlisted in the Marines and the military when he was only 16 years old, which you could do back then. A lot of people get really surprised by that. Um, you could do that back then in the 1950s and he was poor. So this is multi-generational poverty. Okay, um, which so is a very... I'm sorry to interrupt you, which is a very hard cycle to break out of once somebody yeah. is in. Yes. But so kudos was, to you. Thank you. He was determined, you know, he knew per sort of the American dream, he was determined that I would go to college. Okay. Um, he did push for that very, very hard. But the thing is, is that, and this is part of the reason that for a while, I actually didn't want to tell my story. Um, because I'm not writing a rags to riches story. I'm writing more of a rags to reality story, which is one that I think so many people are living, but it's not one that we always hear. So there's a lot of triumph in it, but there's also challenges. Yes. Right? So <laughs> and do you think it's hard to share that story because of the, what I might call the cloud of shame that comes around it or what, what comes up for you? I don't, yes, I'm not sure that I exactly feel ashamed because I am proud of my achievements, but I would say that this idea that we have to do things the way other people are doing them. So what, what's defined as success and what's defined as failure, I'm talking about the predefined ideas in society, yes. that affects us. So that makes us feel a certain way like, oh, I didn't go here and then go to Harvard. And then I didn't attend Harvard, by the way, but I'm just saying like, I didn't, I, I did go to um, Trinity College for a master's degree. So it's a pretty elite institution. Um, but it's, and it's, but are you, so are, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So is, are you speaking into like whether someone is worthy enough to tell their story or the perceptions around how people define success and failure and. Yes, the person, it's about the perception. So it's about how other people define it. And then you, me overcoming that and realizing that, no, there's so much value in a story where it's not done in the typical kind of way, right? Okay. It's not, it's not a Hollywood story. It doesn't have to have an ending where it has a neat bow tied up and everyone has a happy ending, you know? And so then you came from here and then you went up here. And I'm not saying, of course, every story has challenges, okay. but the sort of coming from here and going on the stair stepper in this really logical way, it doesn't have to be that way or all of a sudden, right? It seems a certain way. And I think we've talked about it and I've thought a lot about the fact that, you know, there's this violence and poverty, right? Because not only do you have, I'm sure people can imagine it, like you have psychological manifestations that comes from that, that's lifelong, but you also have physical ones and people may forget about that because like I didn't have access to healthcare, for instance, okay. um, because we don't have that safety net in our society. And without having that, that's had lifelong physical repercussions as well. Okay. And those, and those also, you know, play into psychological, um, issues. The effects. 
Yes. Yes. We have the effects of that. So because people, you know, people need medical care. And so I sort of want to talk about how unregulated capitalism is actually a form of brutality. Because I think that many people, right, the system, so I'm not, I'm not anti-capitalist. I would say that I'm pro-capitalist, but I do think that we need regulations and I do think that we need safety nets. And it's not just to be altruistic. I'm altruistic, but even if someone is not, I think it we have to realize how it benefits all of society to have our members of society taken care of, right? Sure. So if you have someone like me who can be very, very productive in society, but then you have all these factors that hold them back, right? And prevent them from then actually attaining, you know, being where they're supposed to be, okay. right? then that's really kind of not benefiting anyone. It's not that just that it's not benefiting me, but that's sort of a drain, right? Because imagine what might have been or what could have been contributed. So in my struggles, right? And in the things that I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that I don't achieve all the dreams that I imagine that I would achieve when I'm young. Of course, I still have a lot of life left. But up to this point, I did not achieve what I thought I would when I was maybe a teenager, you know, in sure. any way form. Sure. So if I could, again, put you on the spot for a moment, what was it like to be homeless? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because how easy is it for anybody to walk by, especially today, somebody and say, oh, look, that person is fill in the blank. That person is homeless. And I wondered if you could speak into it, especially if you were under 18, a child, Yes. Yes. I was a young child. Um, I was without shelter three different times. Um, It wasn't, so we didn't actually have to live outside. Um, We were able to live in our car. Um, It was not a luxury car. (laughs) It was an old car and it was cold and uncomfortable. Okay. Um, And I, want people to know that we still continue to do the things that people do. I was in school. So I was going to school from my standpoint and we would go to, we would go to a rest area to sort of wash up and clean up because father did not want us. He did not want me to have more shame and be embarrassed, you know, by being not kept. So we would do that. And I would go to school And he expected me to get straight A's and have good grades. And maybe that's very unusual, but that is, that is what happened. So here's your father who had served in the Marine Corps and he's telling you to get squared away and to clean up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was really fastidious about that kind of thing. Disciplined. Yes. Disciplined. Yeah. Okay. So how did it affect you? Because now you're in a place where you can unpack it and You've also had a couple of guides that could that have helped you, but how did it affect you? And, and the reason that I'm asking this is because I think it can be very hard for people to give language to an experience. But with, sometimes when they hear other people speak about it or speak into it, they can know that they are not alone. Yeah, and that's obviously the reason why I'm writing the story um, to have that impact so that people who've gone through something, it doesn't have to be exactly my journey, but so they know that it doesn't have to be done in a traditional way and that they won't feel alone. And so I think, you know, everyone has to put their own language to it. 
Um, but I would say that I always felt like an outcast. I always felt like I didn't fit in. Okay. And I knew I, I could observe, of course, like any human, what other people were doing. And I sort of, maybe I built that up more than I should have or could have, but I observed, I sort of knew what went on in their families and, you know, that they were living in homes, that they were taking family vacations, that they were doing things that we consider quite normal and things that human beings should enjoy, that they were eating three meals a day and maybe having a snack after school, you know, little things like that. They had such an impact. And I never felt like I could really share, you know, my life and that, and that stayed with me. So it's incredible to be sharing my story now because that sense of, yeah, there is a certain sense of shame and privacy. And my father was a very private person to begin with. So he always really encouraged like not sharing what he perceived as weakness, which is huge, especially among men. Go ahead. Which I now of course perceive as strength is, is the vulnerability, right? Sharing that vulnerability and being proud of that and being willing to put that out there, I view as a major strength and an asset. But I understand why, you know, in the time that he lived and right, being a male and all of these things, being a military man, I understand why he had the views that he had. And it's not always safe with everyone to share our stories and, you know, what we've been through to get to our triumphs. He was not wrong about that necessarily. So, right. And I want to get to something he had said to you growing up that the cruelty that you had experienced initially, you know, he kind of said to you, just wait till you see what's out there in the world. But before I go there with you, uh, it's interesting because it reminds me of somebody walking outside of like, like a storefront window and there are the, you know, the other people and you notice they get afternoon snacks. Yeah. Yeah. And I often talk about that. Um, You can see places in the memoir where it's like I'm in this sort of plexiglass box and I can see out, but I can't join anyone. Yes. So in the place I grew up is beautiful in the Adirondacks um, near Lake George. I actually grew up in Glens Falls, but partly lived in Lake George at times as well. So we would be in Lake George and you would see families, probably a lot of them coming from New York City and so forth, vacationing, you know, and enjoying, enjoying the beauty, enjoying their time together as a family. And so I would be, you know, working or doing something else. And I I never had that opportunity. So it does, you feel like you have regrets before you've even started, you know, you feel this longing to do everything, to be part of everything, to, to experience to everything. Sure. Yeah, all at once, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before I go on to the, the next question, what value do you think you get to honor by being transparent and vulnerable now today as an adult in your forties? Yeah, I think um, it's just helping me to connect with my authentic self. Okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. And is there anything else that you would want others to know to break through any of the perceptions? Because again, mainstream media doesn't necessarily give a platform. You know, yeah, for- of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would just want people to, first of all, 
be kind to themselves and understand that they are enough. So we were talking about, I was talking about capitalism. And so, right, it's really about being enough, having enough, accepting enough, right? We don't always have to, even if I'm a person who has made it in terms of financial wealth, that doesn't mean that I am feeling happy or fulfilled because maybe I keep getting put under this abusive system, which is like, there's pressure. Now there's pressure to maintain. So we've talked about that. So people have um, toxicity in their lives for different reasons. Right, right. Right. So I would say to people, you know, to just know that they're enough and to, um, I wouldn't, so I'm not necessarily encouraging people to share their story publicly, right? Because that's not for me to decide. Although I would say, of course, I believe in it. Um, I love the idea of it, but you have to decide, but I would encourage everyone to write their story, not for the purpose of necessarily sharing it, but your story matters. And when you tell even yourself your story, so if you journal it, right, it really, it really makes a big difference in opening doors and how you begin to feel, you know, about yourself and what has happened and all of that. So even if you don't want to share it publicly, or you don't necessarily have to write a book or a memoir, you know, you could end up blogging about it. You could end up sharing bits and pieces of it on social media, or again, you could just keep it private, but I do encourage people to, um, I teach storytelling. Okay. Sure. Sure. So I encourage that and writing a lot is good. What would you say was the hardest part of unpacking your story? Um, I would say that realizing that my story doesn't necessarily fit a mold. And I think that the simplest part is sort of working through, and albeit it's not simple, but um, when I was experiencing poverty and abuse and, you know, having all of these things happen to me, I think um, sometimes it can be easier to share times when you're a victim, but it was writing the latter part of my story when I become 18 and not, like I said, not everything was fulfilled in exactly the way, even though I was making progress, not everything going exactly the way I thought it would be thereafter. And so sharing that part and getting over the shame of that part of my story, that was the most difficult part to unpack. Okay. Um, and, and what in particular was hard about it because it was unexpected because it was, yeah, because it wasn't, again, it wasn't those, it wasn't traditional. Okay. or what I had come to know as traditional success based on other public stories that we have to have more people sharing stories because I think that most people's story is not traditional, right? But it might be the one that gets shared because maybe someone who has a typical rags to riches story, I was homeless and then I became um, a Wall Street investor and then I had millions. And then, and you know, in that there's like some still tragedy where you're like homeless while you're investing. And, you know, I'm referencing something famous, but those were the kind of stories that I grew up with as a young person. And when I started to pay attention, I thought, well, gee, I don't have a story like that. So I guess my story is not valid. It's not interesting. It's a story about failure. And actually, of course it's not. And people who know me never think that, but it's interesting how I put that on myself. 
Sure, sure, absolutely. Because of the examples we see. And then, you know, one of the reasons that I'm doing this legacy video series is, is to offer social proof uh, that is inclusive so that when somebody gets to define, develop, and execute their legacy, it's not just one route. It's not just one way. It's not just one presentation or format or path. It's, it's going to be unique for each individual. Absolutely. Yeah, I love, I love that term social proof because I think that's something that's also so misunderstood and that could be exactly it. I didn't think I had the social proof. I didn't think people would. And I love what you're doing because you're showing people and teaching people and helping them discover their own journey to that and redefining what social proof really is, you know? Yes. So I think that's incredible and so needed, so needed. So I just, I want to acknowledge that you've done the emotional work. And I think that's why various readers and fans have reached out to you. Yeah. Because we have, I don't want to say an abundance of sources when it comes to other areas of our lives that we can define as like, for instance, if my net worth is X, therefore I am successful. But yet it's like the story you shared when you were watching um, others vacation in upstate New York and and it looked like the grass was greener on the other side. And yet one of the things we've talked about is control, you know, just because it looks greener doesn't mean that they, you know, are happy. So I found out, you know, of course through, you know, what my dad said that the world is a cruel place, right? He sort of, tried to warn me, but that wasn't a message that I was ready to receive as a, you know, a young girl or even a a teenager. Um, That's not a message that many people are ready to receive. But, you know, um, for all of his mental illness and problems, which I do believe is somewhat connected to the lifelong poverty too, that he experienced and the generational poverty that, you know, afflicted his family, Okay. To a large degree, I do also, you know, believe that he, he could see things, he had vision, you know, and he understood things. And um, we can get too simplistic, we can always become too black and white in our thinking, which mm-hmm. is not good. But that's exactly the point. We don't want to make it rich against poor or you know, right. people who achieve against people who don't, people who win and people who fail. Right. right. It's not that kind of a thing. Story arcs, our arcs, our lives, they're complicated. And um, so, right, I didn't necessarily see that. But my father, he was sort of teaching me that along the way. I don't know how much it was obviously sinking into a degree and then to a degree it wasn't. So okay. that's where I think I'm able to take a step back you know, and that's one of the things that goes into writing. You have to sort of be able to take a step back from yourself because you are ultimately relating to your audience. So you're not, when you're writing memoir, you're not changing the story. You're not altering the story like you would in fiction where you could make it anything you think your audience might really enjoy. You know, you have this story and you have these memories, but, and so, you know, it, it's, there's no such thing as the truth, of course. I think most people know this, when, but it is our experience and you try to project that as it, as it is in your mind. So you don't really have control over it. But at the same time, you do have a sort of control over the way that you tell the story. And I think, you know, you're going to have to relate and notice these little, these things. Sometimes they're just little details that might seem insignificant and really mm-hmm. they're very significant. 
do you, uh, do you think your father gave you your resilience? I, that's an interesting question. <laughs> so I actually think that I was born with a certain amount of resilience, um, which would sound like a fair answer, but I think it's quite possible. Even from a young age, I was able to start writing, and this seems like it's not whatever. And I always had a lot of empathy for others, which is not always common when someone who's experiencing a lot of trauma for themselves. Okay. Okay. So knowing I have those gifts also makes me want to do more, you know, because I was blessed with those gifts, right. Yes. Of, of having resilience, but in a way, you know, he did, he, he did teach me a lot of uh, life skills that you wouldn't normally learn things outside of college and things outside of school, um, you know, what we used to call some street smarts. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. The school of hard knocks. He had yeah, fun yeah. common sense. What, what he used to call that kind of thing, street smarts and yeah, the school of hard knocks. Okay. And so I think there's, there's another kind of resilience in that. I think there's different kinds of resilience, right? There's this sort of idea that there's a survivor okay. who's resilient because they can overcome things. That's okay. the kind of person my father tried to sort of turn me into and I am that person but then there's also I think a resilience in being vulnerable and having empathy and and all of that as well and that's something I developed for myself so there's two prongs to this so would you say it's the ability and capacity to be kind in addition to being a prideful brick wall yes yeah yeah Yeah. okay I would okay I realize I'm putting you on the spot and I appreciate your courage to speak into this. I love it. I love it. Okay. So would you fill in the blank for the following sentence? Here's how I am stronger today for the trauma. So I think we sort of touched on this. um, If you could make it concise or bite-sized, you would say. Yeah. um, I'm stronger for being a more empathetic person. Okay. But I want to say that I, and I have more empathy for myself. So it's not just empathy for others. I think I had that before and I had to actually learn empathy for myself because when we're not kind to ourselves, it's really difficult to continue to be kind to others, which is the result that we want, that we have to come from within with that. So I think that's how I'm stronger. But I just want to say that I don't necessarily think people have to go through something that's very traumatic to or be isolating strong, to be stronger right so we have this idea of associating like how can we find the good in it and I think that that's you know that's very human okay. but I also don't want to romanticize the suffering and say that like no it was a good thing because I'm stronger so I, I'm just I, I'm sort of um I'm not against the question but that's something that I'm sensitive to okay yeah could, could I add a thought to that? Yeah, of course. I think course. that you have an increased capacity to not judge others because you understand what it is to walk in different shoes that it, it and those circumstances might be outside of the control of that individual, especially if they're under age 18. Of course. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. We, have, we have to take care of children, even if we think that we want to judge their parents for what they're not doing right? We can never, um, we can't, we can't judge children. But, but people are harsh. 
people are harsh, right? They can be very harsh. Yeah, no, they so don't I, know. I have things to say about that and ways that to, I think, help people think about that so that they don't have to feel like, again, I'm in this camp, you're in that camp, and we will never meet. So I have yes. some about and that. I think that's why uh, that's one of the reasons why I felt that this conversation was important because I, it's easy thinking to place people into compartments or categories. Yeah. So can we let's let's just talk about that now while we're sort of on it. So if okay. you have people who I've noticed as sort of a common theme in the public sphere and okay. in society is that you would say, well listen, I didn't come from much, you know, so I'm just telling someone else's story. Now I might say, or people have even said this to me, Jenny, you know, you obviously came from nothing and you made this out of your life. Why can't other people just do what you did? I so respect you, Jenny. And I want to know why everyone can't just do that. Right. This individual level. Or I hear people saying things like, well, you know, I achieved all of this. And so there's this sense in which if I admit that other people need help, that maybe somehow that's taking away from my achievement. And that is not true. I want people to understand in this conversation that two things can be true at the same time. We have a hard time with that as human beings. We think that either this is true. And then if this is if A, then it can never be B. Right. And, and so, and we have a hard time. We think if we acknowledge some privilege that we've had, and there's all kinds of ways that privilege plays out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not, it can just be in the form of opportunity that was presented to us, right? Mm-hmm. It, and it can be for all kinds of reasons. So um, I'm not talking about one particular kind because there okay. are so many, but I think people have trouble sort of thinking that like, I made it all on my own. So they think if they don't hold to that, I made it on my own. I did everything that I was, I'm so amazing that that will somehow diminish their achievements if they don't stick to that. And so then it's very hard to have empathy for others who didn't do that because that's the story they're telling themselves. And I have to say that I still recognize people's achievements regard, even when I recognize that they've had some sort of, because we all, you know, even to get where I was there, there was some kind of privilege in that, right? Open doors. I, I even had a privilege of open doors, right? Okay. Um, for, for my skin color, you know, for other reasons. And then I had a lot of closed doors as well. Yes. So, um, but so, but recognizing that just because, you know, I'm a Caucasian woman, you know, versus something else okay. that, that opens some doors for me doesn't, doesn't diminish what I achieved. It doesn't so, diminish that at all for me. So I just want people to understand that they can realize that some people can't do what they can do, or they might be resilient. Like I'm resilient and other people can't tap into that resource. They okay, just so- So let me see if I can articulate what you said, maybe in one perspective. So while on the outside, you might fit the label of, let's fill in the blank, Caucasian woman, it still doesn't take away from the struggles that you've had to overcome, the journey you've had to go on to, and the things that you've had to face. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would be easy, let's say, for someone on the outside to go, oh, she's, she's pretty Barbie. I bet, you know she has pretty privilege and her life has been easy. Exactly. And yet, yet I I could say to you in some ways, 
and this is a perception, you can correct me in the moment right now. I think in some ways you had to grow up in, in what I might call like an adult child as an adult child, taking responsibilities for things that were beyond maybe age seven or beyond age 13 in the realities of life that other people didn't take responsibility for. They land on your doorstep and on the outside, somebody go, oh, pretty privileged. And yet here you are having to evolve your inner landscape. Of course. And they call it, you know, pseudo adult pseudo adulthood and so that was what I was put into when children are put into adult roles and that is a major theme of my memoir and and, and um, many many children out there keep going many children out there go through that so but that that's kind of exactly so while I but it's not just that I want people to recognize about me I'm only using myself as an example I okay. just really want them to understand that admitting that other people might need help and resources from society, resources from all of us, is not sort of diminishing what they achieved. Because okay. in order to do that, I understand that they might have to acknowledge that they had some privilege. And okay. that's okay. That's okay, though, because with that, everyone has struggles. And I and that, and that you can admit, but some people have more, right? Some people have more stacked against them. So I'm really on a mission to create that platform and that conversation to bridge that gap, right? Of the people who cannot talk to one another, right? right? And, you know, because there's a lot of anger and hurt and trauma in people who have not had access to things. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's also a lot of anger and trauma and hurt amongst people who have seemingly had access. Right. Yes. Because they don't know what they've had to do to get there or continue to have to do. And so sometimes or if they couldn't leave that world. Those groups don't want to talk. Right. Because and they need to talk. Don't have anything in common and they need to talk. And I'm hoping to be a kind of bridge and a gateway to groups of people talking. Right. Because I've been a little bit on both sides. Yes. Yes. So, Okay, so speaking of tools, fill in the blank for the next sentence, if you would. Here's the process that I've been able to utilize to resolve tough experiences. So would you say maybe some of the... Uh, yeah, the process of healthy, I would say healthy living and mindfulness. Okay. Um, and that comes in many forms. For okay. me, early on, it came in the form of seeking professional therapy. Okay. Um, to get past the trauma. And within that, I learned um, emotional freedom techniques and, you know, tapping meditation. Uh, later in life, I came to yoga and I've had many wonderful guides in, you know, um, forest bathing and connection with nature and things like that. Okay. So it's a continual process of growth. And you talked about inner peace and I'm still on that journey. So I would also want people to know that inner finding inner peace is, I think is a lifelong journey. Absolutely. Right? Especially because it's, I don't think it's this thing where one day you wake up and you just have inner peace. I mean, there are days when you feel like you arrived, <laughs> but, it's, but it's a journey, right? It's a journey. It's a right. journey forever. So, so would you also say that it's your, it has been your ability to be proactive with what I might call the part-time job of self-care? Oh, yes, it is quite, I, I like that phrasing because it is quite a job. Um, okay. and, I, and I'm very proactive about it. And I have to be okay. because and some of those physical manifestations with my health and repercussions from those childhood experiences and lifelong experiences have sort of 
force that on me and thrust that on me, but I've chosen to embrace it. Yes. You know, in, in one sense, I don't have any other choice because the other choice would be to be very ill and not living out any of my dreams, not being here today. But I choose another path. And so I, you know, I want to embrace this healthy lifestyle and these things that I have to do. And that's another reason why I promote enoughness so that people understand that there is more to life, right? Than just this constant pursuit of external things, external, yes, external things, right? Um, Of acquiring and acquiring and acquiring right? Sometimes we have to stop doing that so we can actually get really healthy and get ourselves healthy. But in order to do that, we have to have a society that, you know, we have to create a society together that allows us to do that. All of us, all of us. And encourages it. And encourages it, you know, where we, where we contribute and also contribute in the ways that maybe are best for us to contribute, you know, and give some fulfillment. And not just it's personal fulfillment, but then also that ends up helping others. It's the greatest form of legacy to me. Yes. It reminds me of a quote by Albert Einstein about the fish and the bicycle. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So before I move on to the next question, again, I just wanted to acknowledge that you are taking responsibility for uh, the part-time job of self-care. Because one of the things that I've seen in my lifespan, especially in the past year, is if hard times falls on an individual, they can allow anger to consume them. And then they cannot leave that bubble of anger. And it becomes like, you know, that six foot trench that they stay in. Yeah. You know why? And then the bitterness and resentment get added like onto the ice cream. Yes. You know what I think that why I think that happens. And, um, you know, this comes out of my therapy. This comes from my therapist who would tell me that actually one of the things that happens, cause I've done this in the past where I'm sort of, I'm, I'm angry, you know, and it's, so the, here's the thing, the anger is legitimate, right? Okay. There's justified up, anger. There's justified anger in all of us that something's going on, that some of my needs are not being met, right? Some of my basic needs are not being met, right? There's something wrong. That's the reason for anger. There's something going on. But what I'll do is I'll sort of invalidate my own anger sometimes by saying like, but I know that it's not a big deal, or I know that other people are suffering too, or I know this and that. And what we really need to do is sort of give ourselves a certain period of time to actually be angry, a confined period. So say you're going to give yourself a weekend, maybe you're going through a lot and you're actually going to journal, you know, you can scream it out, you know, not at a particular person. I'm saying like privately, you can just be angry without feeling guilty about that. Let that come and then let it pass and then move on. And I think that's the key, but we have so much guilt around our feelings that it it keeps sort of spiraling because we never really, we're feeling angry, but we're also feeling guilty about feeling angry. And so that actually creates more anger, but then, you know, you just have this vicious spiral. Yes. And and so that's why I think the anger gets out of control. Cause I, you know, I know a lot of people who go through these things. And of course I get into conversations with others because of my background. And so uh, I really think that that's what causes it. So here's what I might say about your background. You have the ability to walk through different worlds. Yes. And understand. Yes. Okay. So here's the next question. Boundaries can be a tough area 
for many, because there is not a class in traditional schooling unless one seeks out seminars and retreats to clarify what is one person's stuff versus what others are projecting or scapegoating. What comes up for you with the word boundaries? Right, you could have an entire uh, program on this on boundaries. <laughs> People are constantly exploring this topic. And I think that anyone who's been through um, trauma has some boundary issues, right? Because usually people have had poor boundaries with them. And then sometimes, right, they're going out and they'll emulate that. So I know for me, sometimes uh, my boundary issues come from an inability to say no to others. I want to help. I want to put goodness in the world. And all of that is valid. But we have to be able to make choices, right? So I would say that um, boundaries are about practice. You know, you have to sort of practice being able to say no and set that and set a limit, you know, and decide what is right for you. Um, and practice makes it easier, you know. Sure. That's that would be my main thing about that. But boundaries, yes, that's so so important because. When you get into that, you can get into situations that are codependent and it affects all of your relationships, you know, even your friendships, of course, your romantic relationships, work relationships. I've seen it go on everywhere. And so many people struggle with boundaries. And it usually does come from, I think, things that have happened in the past. Okay. Yeah. I think practice is, is a, a beautiful answer. And I hope that people will consider that just as they might go out to the tennis court, they could go out to the boundary courts and yeah. uh, swing yeah. the racket for 30 love. Yes, yes. Love it, wonderful, yes. So uh, you have stated to me that sharing your story can lead to one's legacy, if that's the right decision for them. What happened and happens for you when you are able to share your story? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I know, because I've talked to other memoir writers as well, that uh, of course, for some people, there's a sense of, of healing, right. Okay. Of, go of past traumas in your life. Um, and having that story, there's something cathartic about making that story public, not hiding behind it any longer. Um, and for me that occurred at the stage of actually putting my blog and my story in a blog form public. Okay. Okay. But when I decided to write the memoir and tell the story in a more cohesive way, right, as a book, then I realized I can have this platform and stories are memorable. We as humans remember stories and stories open up pathways to conversations, right? Yes. So that is something that, you know, can happen. And again, I just encourage people to share their story with themselves. Tell yourself your story, but write it down, even if you're journaling that story. And then um, whether or not you come to a point of realizing that this story, I want to make it public for various reasons. You know, you have to ask yourself those reasons. And I'll, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about that, too. Um, yeah. on my own, on my own YouTube channel. So I can sort of delve into this you know, answer deeply or more yeah, or, or deeper about writing, about sharing your story and writing memoir in general. Yeah. I think one, I, I want to add to what you've just shared. And I think it's when somebody can share their story, they will be remembered in their legacy more than their work. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Cause on the tombstone, it could say, you know, Billy or Sally, 
you know, 19, you know, 82 to, I'm just making up these dates and names to whatever, 2060. And he or she was a, you know, a carpenter, a banker, a professor, but there's so much more to people in how we remember them, why we remember them. And, you know, what went into the human experience. And the last thing we think about necessarily is, oh, they were a great carpenter or plumber or something, right? right. Yeah. But it, it's, it's how they made an impact. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's in the stories that people also tell about them, right? If you had a great teacher, we've all had a great teacher in school or something like that. And you'll hear, you know, students tell stories and it's in some of those, it's in the quirky things. It's in the everyday small things, you know, it's not in order to leave a legacy. If you'll notice the people who leave the greatest legacies, they just have an impact on people's lives, sometimes in very, what seems like small ways, but it's actually the greatest ways of all. Right. Right. So they usually don't have on their owned a eight bedroom house with, you know, with an in-ground pool and things like that in there, right. because that is kind of insignificant. Right. right. And th- right. Okay. So many people can get blindsided with what may feel too heavy for them and lose their voice or sense of self in it. In picking up the pieces and reintegrating yourself, what have, what has been the most important lessons or what have been the most important lessons in building or rebuilding who you are authentically? Yeah, um, you asked so many great questions. Right? Putting you on the spot here. <laughs> no, it's, completely, it's completely fine. Um, I think that so many of them have a common theme, right? What we what we think about as authentic, right? I think everyone has to define that for themselves. And that's what's really important when we talked about showing kindness to yourself. And that's part of your journey to build your authentic self because we have so much external noise, especially nowadays. We always have because there's always been expectations. I don't want to say we have more now, but we have different ones. You know, there's media, there's all these expectations. Um, so it's not just getting lost in your prior trauma, but it's also focusing on what's happening now, right? I think the here and now is so important. And a lot of people can say, well, I've moved past that trauma, but it's just part of your story. And it's a thread. I don't think that trauma is something we have to get over. I think it's something that we integrate Okay. And we figure out what it, you know, what it is about us that defines us and what it is that we don't necessarily want to define us, okay. right? But this feeling, if we have feelings of imposter syndrome, because it comes out of some of the shame or other things that we might be feeling that, you know, we don't measure up, it's never enough. There could be so many things, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's so critical that we go on those journeys and question, you know, how we find our authentic self. Can I tell you what I like about your memoir and also who you've become today? Of course. Thank you. Uh, it's that you've brought all of you. Thank you. Compared yeah. to when somebody will disassociate a part of themselves. Right. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. what's interesting about that part that they disassociate with could be the part that makes them the most human, the most lovable, the most, yes. Yeah. Right. Able no. to be magnetic with others, but yeah, 
I share that inner voice, you know, I develop for me, I also my inner voice, I say this to people that help to keep me sort of sane and grounded, grounded, okay. nice word to use. Um, okay. I think we all have to find our grounded place. And um, I practice grounding in yoga, but I think we have to have our sort of mental grounding within ourselves and that that is the authentic self. And for me, yeah, I love those quirky parts about myself, um, but I did not always, of course, I did not always appreciate those. Um, because yeah. of this, this thought that if I am perfect, I will be loved or if I am perfect, I will be socially acceptable. Exactly, exactly. Um, in the subject of multi-generational patterns, which is something we've talked about before today, would you share any wisdom you've discovered that could be in service to another who may be watching or listening? Um, yeah, so I mean, I think there's like maybe two people that, you know, I could talk to here, which is people who are like myself, who have gone through um, a kind of trauma that I would tell them to be kind to themselves, first of all, and understand that they are enough and also understand that there is help out there, right? Support. Even if you have not found the right match and you think that you are alone, there are people out there who are want to help you, are there to help you. There are people rooting for you. I am. Um, I am. And so I want people to know that and that if your journey has not been traditional, I think that that is wonderful, but I know that it's also painful. I understand that. And so by sharing your story, then that can be one way to, you know, overcome that. Um, and for people who maybe haven't been through something like that, or they think, well, I haven't been through the kind of trauma you're talking about, Jenny, and it does, trauma can look different. So that's the other thing I want people to understand, right? So we've talked about that and how um, anyone could be having a difficult time. Yeah. Uh, I've had people relate to my story who haven't been through, they were going through sort of a midlife trauma that was nothing like my trauma because my trauma focuses mostly on childhood and early adulthood trauma. Okay. Um, at least in my, you know, first memoir and everything. So I, but I've had people come to me who are 50 years old and they're sort of feeling alienated for very different reasons with their career, with their friends, with their life right now. And they, they, my story resonates with them. And, and I, they also feel safe, but also because you've gone on that journey that they can come and say, let me tell you. Yeah, there's yeah. hope in it. There's hope in it. And so, and for other people, I would encourage them to just be open-minded and receptive to other people's stories, you know, really be, be a little bit open-minded and receptive to that, that all of our stories don't have to look similar. And so if a story is different than what you, you know, your common perception of it might be, should be, then um, maybe there's a lot of value to learn in that. Yes. And I also have to think that with the multi-generational patterns, like you had said, you saw the poverty that your dad lived through. And then when you thought about your grandparents, that there's different, uh, I mean, obviously it's different decades, different historical contexts, but um, it, it, it's finding the place where it's safe, but also finding the people that can be resources that can be supportive because when somebody doesn't have, have that, then they can, you know, live within their brick walls and their pride comes up and, and that's a hard place to be strong every day. 
Yeah. For that. Me, yeah. For me, I've also, and I should mention this, I've also um, been a part of communities and being a part of communities where people also have, you know, past and they've had struggles, both, you know, both present and prior um, is incredibly giving and empowering. So if you can find a community success partners, all of that, it's so meaningful. And that's, I know that's sort of, you know, part of what you offer too. So, um, so before I move to the next question, did anything sur uh, surprise you when you learned about your parents and grandparents? Did it allow you to forgive your, your, your dad at all or? Yeah, I think, yes. Um, that's a really good question that, um, when we're talking about multi-generational poverty and struggle, you know, it's a lot of struggle, uh, growing up. So I grew up in the eighties and nineties and it was the era of, you know, big wall street. And there were a number of people who were doing very well in the United States. There were a number of people. That's what I witnessed. You know, when you watch shows on television and we didn't have cable, but sometimes, you know, I was aware there were things going on, but what I could watch, what I could consume, what I saw in school, what I saw in the outside world, you know, you had the perception that a lot of people were doing well. And I think there was a fairly strong, you know, middle class still at that point, there were people also becoming wealthy, there were people capitalizing on a lot of opportunities at that time, you know, but there were also a lot of people who were hurting too. And I didn't realize that for, you know, whatever reason. Um, I tell me you left that part out I like around the world. Well, my dad, he did sort of have me watch it was sort of like the starving children in Africa kind of thing but as a young person I was like but that's not us like I should be doing all the things that all the other American kids are doing and you know having you know vacations and doing all these things so there was there was that perception and I would say that yeah I blamed him uh, you know if he could just get his act together oh <laughs> Right. If he was just a better dad, because all these other people could manage it. So there was a point and I, when I blamed him. So, and I think that's the thing about getting out of individualistic thinking and that's okay. so tempting, right? It's so tempting to just blame one person. Right. And I'm not okay. saying he's without any sort of uh, responsibility. He has responsibility for his actions. We all do. Right. right. We all do. He has to, as an adult, he had to take responsibility. He had a child. He had me. You right? were going to fix him. And he wasn't taking, and he wasn't taking the responsibility. But then again, what resources did he have or what had happened to that point? So I don't have total empathy for him. It's not like, again, it's not the kind of thinking where we either have to make excuses for people or blame them or totally exonerate them. It can be somewhere in between. Right. But of course, yes, I did recognize the more that I learned. And then of course, there is my mother's family, which is, you know, an even more tragic story, which will center, my second book will center around more of my mother's story. Because of course, she is brought into my first memoir, but um, I have to explore that relationship more deeply. I grew up, I should say that if people are wondering, you talk about my father a lot. I grew up with my father um, alone. And so it was an unusual situation to grow up with a single father. And in the um, 80s. In the 80s and yeah. 90s. 
you know, I saw my mom only sporadically. And so, um, but then I have a relationship with her later, more established one. And your father's so, now passed away. Yes. Uh, both okay. my parents are. So okay. uh, it's interesting that, and that's when I actually began journaling too. But first, but for sure, to answer your question, I started to view his story differently um, when I understood, you know, I knew all the things I knew that he had served his country proudly, which is something that a lot of people respect. They even, you know, they honor it and we should, because people sacrifice, some people sacrifice everything, but everyone who serves sacrifice something, you know, that phrase, I love that saying, because it, that's true. And he did, he sacrificed a lot of self and he was there at 16 years old because, and coming from poverty, that was an option. There was mm -hmm. an option to go into the military and sort of make something of yourself, you know, get off the streets, if you will. And, you know, um, not be sort of a hooligan, this poor hooligan. And so he, for him, the military was really making something out of his life and uh, growing up. And, and he also grew up way too quickly, you know, in some ways. And he rebelled against that and he did not have the resources that he truly needed. And so much of everything was just swept under the carpet, so to speak, you yes. know, everything just sort of swept away. And you that's what, one of the things I wanted to say before I move to the next question and then we kind of wrap up. Um, it's interesting when you spoke about mainstream media when you're growing up in the eighties and this idea of like Wall Street and big money, yeah, and, and, because it's, it's a slice of what's actually there. It's a slice of reality. And I think that when, when I think about uh, the word legacy, you know, will it happen from the top down? Will it happen from the bottom up? You know, I don't know. I think that a lot of people are becoming more aware today, but I think that when you are writing your memoirs, you are offering a perspective beyond the easy deliverables of mainstream media regarding what is real and what is out there. Thank you. Yeah, I hope to do that. Yeah. And I know you're right, we are becoming more aware, but there's still so much work that we have to do because all those perceptions for all those years have sort of become part of our fabric, right? Sure, and, so, and the subconscious of- Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's the positive story you are creating today? The positive story I'm creating is that um, survival and thriving and all of these things that are positive can come in so many different forms. So if you are someone who doesn't think that you have done it the right way, or you're confused about the legacy that you're going to leave, I am sort of showing, I think through my story that there's so many ways that you can do that at our it's not just acceptable, but it's something that we um, should embrace. And yes. I'm ready to, you know, embrace that with other people. Good, good. What will help you win the day? I think what will help me win the day is um, being a part of a community and, you know, sharing my story with others. So what we're doing today, having conversations, that to me is winning the day. Okay. And then do you think that can change perceptions about survivors? Yeah, because I think, you know, I know that survivor is the more positive word. Okay. What's the negative word? Rather than maybe victim. I okay. know that 
I okay. was sort of being used. But I'm wondering if there's still a kind of victimhood and survivor, you know, built into that subconsciously again. Or we may just think of a survivor as someone, again, who can grit and bear it, who always gets back up on their feet again. And again, I want to show there's some compassion for that because you can be a survivor. So many people, if you're here today, you're a survivor, right? And you don't have to go through what I did to be considered a survivor. There's so many ways to do that. And so you are a survivor, but that doesn't mean that you're not struggling at this moment, you know? I, I could have questioned coming here today because I had a hard week this week. I'm not going to lie. I had a really difficult week this week right here. I had a hard week. Right. And I and and so I could say, like, I'm not 100 percent and I don't need to. I don't know if I can show up today, but you are enough. And surviving doesn't mean always thriving at every single moment. It's a journey. So you're getting there, you know, you're going to get there. That okay. would be my, my way to change the perception. Okay, good, good. And uh, if you could ask the viewers or listeners today to any call to action, what would it be? Call to action would just be to keep an open mind and to keep to keep listening. We learn so much when we listen and then when we engage in meaningful conversations. And sometimes that involves telling our stories, right? Because that's one, that's a very human way that we do that. And all of the rawness and all of the realness and all the things that we might not want to talk about. And yeah, yeah the yes. parts for sure. So what would you like your legacy to be in addition to any financial assets? I think I want my legacy to be that I left the world a kinder place than I found it. Okay. So I want to inject, I want to inject this kindness into the world, but I want to do that through sharing knowledge and through sharing stories. So I think kindness, we think of that as a squishy idea, but it doesn't have to be. It can be very knowledge-based and through knowledge, we can develop that sense of empathy and kindness. Good. Yes. So constructive. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because sometimes people can think of kindness as giving somebody a free pass. Exactly. And that's what I was saying earlier, that we don't need to think of things that way in those kind of hard lines. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking into your life journey and even some of the more touchy parts that I could tell aren't always easy to speak to or into even now today as an adult. And I just appreciate so much your courage uh, to bring forward your memoir, whether it's the first book, the second book, or the future books to come, as well as how you're serving today as a guide to help others be able to tell their story. And any final thoughts? I just want to thank you again, Angelina, for making space for me. It's so important for um, people to make space for these conversations. And uh, I look forward to seeing you helping so many great individuals build their legacy. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Okay. Bye now.